Well, Leanna, we want to bless you as you go. Thank you for leading us in that, Marianne. Today we're talking about spiritual gifts. Leanna was saying to me this morning how she's uh, needing to kind of step back and play a support role and use her gifts differently when she goes to Peru. And uh, it, in many ways, it's an expression of what we're going to be uh, talking about this morning. Um, one of the things that I learned early in marriage and also early in relationships in general is that uh, what you say matters and how you say things uh, also matters. The first one I would call content. Uh, the second one I would maybe refer to as the posture uh, of how we say things. In Ephesians 4, if you remember in our series back a while, uh, Apostle Paul said in verse 15, to speak the truth in love and how truth matters and how also love matters. The posture of how you speak the truth matters as well. Uh, some of you may remember, and some of you would know, the legendary hockey coach uh, Terry Simpson, who used to coach the Prince Albert Raiders many, many years ago. And uh, he coached uh, for the Raiders for about 13 years, then went on to coach in the NHL for a number of years. Um, seemed like a genuinely nice guy. I only met him in person once, and that was when he cut me from a spring rookie camp uh, in the mid-80s. Um, it was a brief interaction. It was about three minutes long, a one-on-one meeting in his office. He uh, uh, you know, had some words for me. And what was interesting is at the end of it, I actually felt kind of encouraged, and I still liked the guy. But the content of what he said was still the same. Basically, you're not good enough to make this team. You're cut. Have a nice day. Um, so content still matters, but the posture of how people share content or what they say also makes a difference. And today in our series on spiritual gifts, I want to talk about our posture in terms of spiritual gifts. Because posture matters in that regard as well. Posture matters as a church in terms of our collective church posture towards spiritual gifts and the culture that we, we create. Our posture as individuals as we grow in our spiritual gifts, as we discern our spiritual gifts, as we use our spiritual gifts, as we stumble along in our spiritual gifts also matters. And how we walk with others in that also matters. So the, the posture that's required is really a central ethic in all of Scripture. It's a posture that is woven through the entire Old Testament. It is uh, spoken of of the character of God, the absolute central character of God. It's the focus of the New Testament and the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the greatest command that Jesus gives. And that central ethic or that posture is the posture of love. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. We see the expression of that love through what Jesus did on the cross in the most extravagant way for each one of that for each one of us. But here's what's interesting as we think about spiritual gifts, is if you look at every single passage that gives a gifts list uh, in the New Testament, and there are four of them that, that give some specific lists of gifts, each one of those has either right before or right after it uh, a reflection or a teaching on this posture of love. And so it's always in the context of that that these gifts lists are given. And let me just reference some of these. Romans 12, 6-8, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Rome, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Immediately after that list that he he talks about, Paul talks about this posture of love that needs to permeate all of our lives. And in fact, in the NIV, that section is titled Love in Action. Uh, In other words, the words that we use and the way that we use these gifts are so important. And he says in verse 9 and 10, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Comes immediately after that list that Paul gives. In Ephesians 4, you remember we talked about the apes gifts. uh, And it says here, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you remember at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, just a few verses before that, Paul begins by teaching about love and unity. To love one another, live a life worthy of the calling. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you jump over to 1 Peter chapter 4, there's another short list that's given in verse 9 to 11. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And immediately before that, in verse 8, Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And then we see our primary text, the text that we're looking at today, 1 Corinthians 13. And in our primary text, it drives home this point even more emphatically that wherever you see this list of gifts that are given for the church, wherever you see this teaching on spiritual gifts, that right around the corner or right before it or right after it or right there is this call to a posture of love. It's very close by. Chapter 12, we looked at that last week and the week before of 1 Corinthians, teaching about spiritual gifts and using the metaphor of the body and speaking. uh, It actually gives two lists of gifts in in chapter 12. If you jump over to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it's speaking about orderly worship. And Paul's addressing some of the issues that they had, especially in some of the gifts like tongues and prophecy. And he's teaching them about orderly worship. And then Right in between those two chapters is embedded this wonderful text that many of us know from different settings. But it's 1 Corinthians 13, an entire chapter on the posture of love. This love that is an affection for another, a regard for another, about wanting the best for another. The kind of love that is defined as a sacrificial love. Giving up our rights and our privileges for another. And so, when it comes to love, and we think about how love is defined culturally around us, it's defined very differently than that, isn't it? When you think about movies, literature, art, music, advertising, the definition of love is meaning just about everything different than what the Bible teaches in this text. And so here, Paul is teaching about in an age of demanding your rights, 
You need to sacrifice your rights for the sake of others. That's the posture that you use these gifts, develop these gifts, and so on. Now we know, or we should know, or need to be reminded, Paul didn't write in chapter breaks, right? You know that, right? So when he was writing this letter to Corinthians, he didn't put in chapter 13 and then keep going. Those came later in church history. But as, so as Paul's writing, you know, sometimes you, you miss the flow of that. But if you go back to the very end of chapter 12, what preceded us, uh, chapter 13 here, and what we looked at last week, we saw this teaser. There was this teaser right at the end of chapter 12, uh, right after Paul was speaking about how no single gift is for all believers, but how we should eagerly seek the most helpful gifts to the church. And then it says, but now let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. Then it stops. No, then it goes into chapter 13. Or in the NIV it says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then Paul says this, and let's read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a, have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that, I'm, to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You've likely heard some of that text at a wedding. I've used that text at a wedding. Sometimes actually asked for by the couple, sometimes by my choice when I've been given the freedom to choose a text. I think it's actually a really appropriate text for a wedding, even though it's written in the context of spiritual gifts. And it's appropriate because it speaks to what love is in a remarkable, practical way. And so Paul is teaching about love that I think can be applied in all kinds of different settings when he says love is patient and kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, and on and on and on. Very appropriate text, I think, for a wedding, even though we understand that the context, and we need to remember that the context is spiritual gifts. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that, oh yeah, like Paul was addressing some issues in the church. Obviously, people were using their gifts, developing their gifts, kind of expressing their gifts in ways that were unloving, in ways that were creating disunity, in ways that were not helpful for the body. And so Paul is writing a corrective to the church. 
And he's saying, here's what love looks like. Here's the posture of the spiritual gifts. Here's how you need to kind of focus these things. And again, posture is something that we, we don't see in ourselves. We see posture in other people very quickly, don't we? If it's physical posture, you see the posture of how somebody sits, how somebody stands. You can tell who somebody is at a distance just by how they walk. You, you know the gait of their walk. And, and we also feel the posture of another person as we interact with them, if you want to take it a little bit further. And so that's what, what this is talking about, is what is the posture of our gifts? If you go back up to the first section of chapter 13 and you look at verses 1 to 3, One commentator, Craig Craig Blomberg, says it this way. He says, more important than all the gifts is love. In fact, the first verses of 1 Corinthians 13 make the point clearly that without love, the gifts are worthless. Pretty strong statement. That's what Paul's saying in those first three verses of this chapter. He's saying they don't matter. They miss the point. They're empty. They're irritating, in fact. Unless... There is a context and a posture of love that is part of that. And as Paul begins those verses, he he uses five spiritual gifts and he illustrates the emptiness that can be there, the negative impact, if there isn't love as part of it. He even uses the extreme example. He says, if you give so sacrificially that that you have total self-abandonment without love, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. If love itself is more excellent than even the greatest of spiritual gifts, then love itself cannot be seen as a spiritual gift. It's something different. It's the way we use the gifts. It's broader than that. It's bigger than that. We'll see in a minute it's more eternal than that. It's the posture. Inappropriate postures of spiritual gifts can destroy the body. And then Paul goes into this middle section as we've referred to, verse 4 to 7, and it gives this practical description of love. This section of the chapter for me has been very challenging for me this week. As I think both about my marriage, my relationship and my family, as I think about spiritual gifts in the context of the church, how I use mine, it's just led to a lot of reflection, conviction, prayer, repentance, because it's really practical and it's really pointed. And as I said, Paul is addressing concerns. And he's saying, here's what mature love looks like. This is the become list. This is what we need to become. Like people like this, like a church like this, in order for these gifts to be used. I want to use some definitions that uh, are given in this uh, section by an author, many of you know Andy Stanley, he wrote a book called New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating, which is a great book, by the way. I would recommend it. But uh, he has a chapter on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he uses it in the context of relationships. Uh, Again, what I said I think is appropriate because of how practical they are. But I want to use some of his language and descriptors, but keep them back on applying to spiritual gifts specifically. So first of all, patience. Paul says here, love is patient. Patience is to move at someone else's pace rather than at your own pace. Rather than pressuring somebody to move at at your pace in life or at your pace in whatever you're doing, patience is moving at the pace of another. It's a decision to pause rather than to pressure. 
The opposite of patience we feel, we experience that posture, it's impatience. You know and I know that we can feel it in our gut when when impatience is rising up. Or maybe it's just me. I know how it churns and swirls inside me, that impatience that I'm struggling against of just wanting to go faster, wanting to move at a different pace, wanting to put pressure, wanting to get going, whatever the case may be. And so when, I, when somebody else has impatience in whatever form, we feel it, we experience it, we can tell. So even in the context of spiritual gifts in the church, to move at a pace in the church in how we use our gifts and the expressions of a gift at a pace that the church can handle is really important. I've appreciated about this church, I think there has been an openness to all the spiritual gifts and yet, there, and there's a grace for that. And there's been a patience for that. Sometimes some would like to go faster and go stronger in those areas, but there is a context for that that I think is good. We can always grow in it. But patience expresses itself in that way. What about kindness? We often think of kindness as weakness. It feels soft. But to be kind is to leverage our strength for another. It's actually to extend and offer what we have as strength to somebody else who is weaker in this area. And so it's to put your strengths, your abilities, your your resources on loan for someone else who lacks them. So when you're kind, you put you at someone else's disposal. Let me come alongside you. Let me help you. Let me walk with you. Kindness is powerful. Kindness is love's response to weakness. So kindness in the church, as we think about spiritual gifts, is to have patience with people who are growing and developing their spiritual gifts. Helping others grow in gifts where you might be stronger and might be further down the road and coming alongside and and encouraging them with grace and spurring them on in their giftedness and the application of it and using it in whatever context. And then the, the text goes on to say some things about what love does not do. And it says, love does not. Love does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. This is quite a threesome. It's uh They're all related because they're expressions of insecurity. What do we do when we see gifts in other people? Do we celebrate or do we tear them down? Do we envy? Is there something within us that sort of starts to envy and go, boy, I wish I I was like that person. I wish I had those gifts. But Paul is saying the posture of love and spiritual gifts, the posture that builds the, the body of Christ is one that does not envy. It actually celebrates when somebody uses their gifts and says, praise God, you have gifts that are different than me and you have gifts that are better than mine. Or however you want to say that. It does not boast. It doesn't put ourselves first in any way. Or having any unhealthy pride for the gifts that God has given us. What about that dishonor? It says love does not dishonor others. You know, honoring another person is at the heart of a great relationship. To honor someone is to pay attention to what makes them feel special. To show them that you value them. To protect them. Safeguard them. Because that's what you do with things that you value. You you make sure that they're protected. You make sure that they're safe if there's something that you value. And so when you honor somebody, you do the same for them. And part of honoring is also to bring the very best version of you that you can to the relationship. So what does that look like with spiritual gifts? How do you honor others in their spiritual gifts? 
Spiritual maturity is reflected in not being self-seeking. As we talked about last night, it's remembering that our gifts are not for us. They're not for me. They're for the body. God has given us the gifts for the sake of others. And when we lose sight of that and we make our rights to use our gifts, uh, the pride that we might have in our gift, it starts to undermine the very work that the Spirit wants to do in the church. And so it says that love is not self-seeking. We are not to be angered or to be record keepers. Love doesn't keep records. That's so hard to do, isn't it? It's so easy to keep the tally. The interesting thing about record keepers is that they seldom keep track of their own mistakes. But how do we not hold on to the mistakes that somebody has made, even in the use of their spiritual gifts, and actually bless them to try again? And not hold them back because maybe they used their gifts in ways that didn't feel good, it felt different, it felt awkward, it was uncomfortable. And so do we file mistakes or do we forgive and forget, the, forget about them? And then in verse 6 and 7 it says, Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We're often told not to use those kind of words like always and never. And here Paul says, uh, yeah, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Always, 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 never He says, that's mature love. That's the posture of love. That's a challenge. That's something where we just need the grace of God. Oh, Lord, make me more like that. I don't think any of us live up to that. But it's by the grace of God that we're called to live into that. This is what, what God is calling us to, what Jesus is inviting the church to be, the bride of Christ. I was thinking about unhealthy postures what do what unhealthy postures look like in some of the gifts and i was thinking about maybe ways that are the things that paul might have been addressing in corinth because in 14 he's addressing like tongues and prophecy and so on and some of those kinds of gifts and i was thinking what, what might that have looked like for him well maybe an unhealthy posture is this defiant resolve to use or bring your gifts regardless of the readiness of the church or the leadership not coming under authority but just saying no i'm going to just use my gifts in whatever way Because this is my gift. Maybe for tongue speakers, unloving posture, unhealthy posture is insisting that everyone imitate them as opposed to understanding that maybe some don't have that gift. Maybe in the prophetic giftings, it's used in a way an unhealthy posture is when language like God says or God said is used and it feels controlling and there's something inside that just doesn't feel right or good. Is it offered with grace and with love or something else? Or in leadership gifting. For those with leadership gifting, it's so easy to, to abuse that power in different subtle ways. Or maybe if you have the gift of healing, not being sensitive to sick families and their wishes maybe, or, or how you pray for them. And maybe sometimes that can cause pain when, when God chooses not to heal for whatever reason. So how do we grow in that? I was thinking of the gift of helps, and I'm not sure how the people with the gift of helps can be so unhealthy. Maybe they just bug us because they're so helpful. I don't know. Some people are like that. But so to think about what does the posture of love look like for the spiritual gifts? 
And it goes in both directions, not just for those of us who are growing in our gifts, using our gifts, developing our gifts, but also for the church as a context. Do we create a context and a culture that embraces and welcomes the growth in the gifts and allowing people to stumble through that and to grow and learn and come alongside rather than just condemning? That's what we want as a church because the goal is maturity. You know, in the last section in verse 8 to 13, it it points to a number of things, and I want to highlight just a couple. First of all, this section highlights the now and the not yet nature of the kingdom of God. How we experience it in part, but not quite fully. We live in between times of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And in there, it, it begs the question, well, why will the gift cease? As it says there in that text. And as commentator Blomberg says, and and I would agree, he says, they are imperfect provisions for an imperfect world, and they will become completely unnecessary when the perfection or completeness comes. When Jesus returns and the one who is love, embodies love, is there in our presence, suddenly these gifts of the Spirit aren't necessary anymore because we are in the presence of the King. So we'll no longer see in part will know and see Jesus completely. Here's what's interesting about love is that it extends into eternity. It says that in this text. It doesn't end because love is a person in Jesus Christ. Neither does faith or hope end. They continue on. But it says love is the greatest. What a great thing to hold on to as a posture for how we use the spiritual gifts. And then secondly in this section, what I would point to is it points to a maturity process. Is that we are a fallen people and that we stumble along and we, we try to be the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we all make mistakes. And we need to extend this grace and this love to each other and to grow and encourage each other and spur one another on to unity. And to know the gifts that we have. And, and Paul says that in here in In verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And he's pointing to this truth that we are to grow into maturity and to grow up as individuals and as the church. And part of how we see that happening is how these gifts either create unity or disunity. And I really think that part of the testing and the assessment of the gift is what does it do in the body? Does it build or does it tear down? And so the gifts that are legitimate are gifts that build up, the gifts that encourage, gifts that express love and change us into mature believers in Christ. And so this chapter points us to this goal of how we use our gifts, the posture with which we use them. You know, so often we want to dive right into and just kind of grab hold of, okay, but how do I understand this gift or that gift? But if we don't understand the posture of the gifts, if we don't understand that they are actually not for us but for the body, we approach them with a very individualistic, self-centered approach that actually undermines the work of Christ in the body of Christ. And so we have to understand and embrace this posture and spur one another on in this posture of love to use the gifts, to develop the gifts in that way. Because the bottom line is this. The fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. Or you might say it another way, the fruit of the Spirit actually fuels the gifts of the Spirit. You go into Galatians 5 where 
Paul is teaching about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The very first one on that list that is a comprehensive kind of connected list is love. And so what is so essential is this posture of love in how we use the gifts, develop the gifts, embrace the gifts, It matures us as a church. So here's my challenge for you as you go from here today. That you would take that middle section of verse 4 to 7 about love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, and just just ask the question, how is that being reflected in my life today in how I think about my spiritual gifts? How I'm using whatever gifts I have, however I serve in whatever context, how is it that I serve and use my gifts in my family? How is it that I serve and use gifts in my workplace? How is it that I serve and use gifts in the church? However God wants to use me for his kingdom, to reflect on those very practical aspects of what love looks like and feels like. And say, Lord, is the way that I'm using my gifts, is it an expression of love? And the other thing is to ask, how can I help make this church more of a context and a culture that has a posture of love for all the gifts of the Spirit. I want to give you a minute, as we talked about last week as well, to actually write down questions that you have in this series about spiritual gifts. You have in front of you, in the pockets, a Go Deeper card if you are a person who writes things down physically. Pull out one of those cards and write down a question that you have. If you have a smartphone or a tablet or you get the email of the e-bulletin right on there, uh, just a little bit down from the top is a place where you can just click and send an email and send questions about the spiritual gifts. And I want you to do that right now, actually. I'm actually giving you permission to take out your phone if you want to do that, okay? And so I want you to take a minute to just think about, reflect on, and actually maybe even submit a question. What are the questions that are still there for the spiritual gifts? And next week, we're going to have a couple of us up here, and we're going to try to interact and share some stories and answer questions around spiritual gifts that we might have in that regard. Worship team, would you come up as I just give a minute for people to write down a question, either on the Go Deeper cards or on your phone, on the e-bulletin, however you would like to do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gifts that you have given the church through your Holy Spirit. And God, we just confess that oftentimes we're intimidated. I know that for many people in this room, we feel like we don't know if we can relate to this. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. How do I grow in this? I don't really understand it. Father, would you just remove the scales from our eyes and help us to see you more? Help us to see the church in the ways that you want us to see the church. And God, we pray that you would grow up all the gifts in our church. That you would help us to be a place of a context and a posture of love where gifts can be used and developed in new and different ways. Where each one of us, in how we grow and use our gifts, would do so in a posture of love and grace for others. And God, that we would always have that posture as we interact with each other as the body. And Lord, ultimately, we we ask for that, for the growth and maturity of the church, 
for our collective witness to the world so that the world would know that you are King, that you are Lord. Lord Jesus, we want to reveal you to the world. Help us to do that by the gifts that you have given us. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.